The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 83, The Modern Librarian with Christina Holzweiss. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, my friend, what is up? Same old, same old. Another day in quarantine <laughs> heaven. Hey, buddy. 2020! Woo! Yes, indeed. So it's gonna go down on history, Ben. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So all right. So, Ben, we are on yep. episode 83 of the yes. Beer EDU podcast. I, if you are a first-time listener, I'm Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same thing with the Instagram, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. And then my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures to Risk-Taking, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's website through Edumatch Publishing. And you, my friend, you are? I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NV. And this is the Beer EDU podcast. So, Kyle, I guess, you know, we should probably start by talking about uh, beer. Yeah, we, we need beer right now. It's, yeah. it's it's those kinds of days lately. So so I've got a nice little Las Vegas area local brew, Bad Beat Brewing's Hoppy Times IPA, yep. 7% ABV. No IBU listed on this one. Uh, it's piney in its flavors. It's malty. It's, I mean, it is a straightforward West Coast style IPA. There's nothing else fancy to it. It's just a straight up good West Coast style IPA. So. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, I, I, I know that's I have, right up your alley. I know. I'm like, I'm kind of jealous because I don't have one of those. So I am, I'm sticking with a theme here from, from another episode, which I'm out of, and I'm like, oh, am I out of order in this? But no, I think we're good. So I went with a non-alcoholic beer, which um, I'm going to try all of them. This is my new, this is my new plan. I'm going to try to find the best one. So this is, and I will butcher the name of this beer. Um, it is a Klaus, Klaus Haller, dry hopped, non-alcoholic. It is a, it is brewed in Germany. Um, and it is, interestingly, it's brewed in Germany, but they use Cascade hops from the U.S. So they must flash freeze them or something, because we've talked about this on the show where you got to use those hops quick. Um, but they use hops from the United States to brew this beer. So I assume it's they're dried and then shipped over or frozen and then dried. I'm not really sure, but um, it's a 0.5% ABV, which is now so far the, the highest alcohol content of a non-alcoholic I've had. Um, no IBUs, but it's, it's pretty good. And I mean, if you're watching on Facebook or, or YouTube live, I mean, it, it looks like a pretty solid beer. It's not, it's not that, <laughs> that weak looking color. It's, it's pretty good. So I, I'm, I gotta say, I tried one of those Heineken 0.0s the other day and it was not terrible. It. That's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. On my that's list a compliment. That's it's not on bad. My list. <laughs> yeah. So it was not bad at all, actually. And I was really surprised. And then a uh, friend of mine that had stopped by brought that, and then she was drinking the St. Pauli non-alcoholic, which I've had that one before. That one's yeah. pretty good too. That one's so. on my list also. So I will, nice. I will, I will. I'm just for the show. 
I am going to go and purchase them all and I will figure out which one is the best one because I mean, I will, I will totally own that after I have this one, I might have one that maybe has a slightly more uh, alcohol content, but, but I'll start with this one. Well, you do that. And then I'm going to be going through some, I got a hold of some beer from my hometown of Alpena, oh, Michigan. That's right. And I'm going to be going through those on some upcoming episodes. I'm looking, I've had all of them already. So I already know what to expect, but I can't wait to share them out. So now, Ben, awesome. we do have a guest yes. with us. You probably heard <laughs> a little bit of giggling yep. and uh, commentary, which is all right by us. So let's welcome Christina Holzweiss to yes. the podcast. So, Christina, thank you for joining. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I don't have a beer. <laughs> and the irony is, I don't drink beer. <laughs> that, that's that, okay. Hey, we do not discriminate against <laughs> yeah. what people drink on here. Our yeah. last guest, Risa Bennett, went through the glories of the finest mineral water that's true on, on our episode so, <laughs> fancy bubbly water yes oh so, okay so that is okay so so no beer that's okay yep. go ahead tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. who are you what do you do because you've got quite the little yeah. list of accolades here so this uh, brace yourselves listeners we gotta we might need a few minutes for this one yep i'm an educator <laughs> Ah, there we go. Sorry, right, wait, wait, wait to bury the. Yeah, she's underselling it a little bit. You've um, done some stuff. Let's just I've say done you've done some, some stuff. stuff. Yes. Um, this is my 26th year of teaching. Uh, I was a seventh grade. Yeah, thank you. Right I survived. <laughs> I'm surviving. Um, right. I was a seventh grade English teacher for nine years. I was a school librarian for. 14 and now I'm an ed tech librarian. So I'm an ed tech specialist, but I'm still a librarian at heart. So I call myself an ed tech librarian. So, and, and I've written a, a few books. I've written some makerspace books for Scholastic. Uh, I've written Hacking School Libraries and the Hack Learning Series with Stoney Evans. So it's basically, you know, some, you know, very easy tips, very easy things that, you know, you could do today, you could do tomorrow. Uh, I I don't really I'm not a fan of books where there's a lot of um, preachy and I like pictures I like lots of white space I know I'm a librarian who likes picture books I want to be able to have easy on the eyes something I could read quickly something I could do tomorrow because educators just do not have time so not not nothing wrong with you know the the whole you know the the hardcore research but I want something that mm -hmm. I could pick up and immediately apply. And that's practical and written by educators, written by people in the field, in the trenches. So I, I like those kinds of PD books. So Edumatch is a great one. Hack Learning is another great um, uh, publisher. Uh, I like the uh, Dave Burgess books. So anything like that, that's tangible and, you know, easy to apply and, um, you know, is uh, something that I could use in a different way. I can hack it. That's what I like. Um, I'm also, I was actually the school librarian of the year for Scholastic and School Library Journal. So anyone out there, any librarians out there, they are now taking applications for the next school librarian of the year. So, you know, a really great piece of advocacy is to uh, nominate a colleague or apply yourself because that's how you advocate for your profession. And a lot of educators go um, and, you know, day by day and they work really hard and they get the job done, um, but they don't realize how, you know, what impact they have 
nominate that person or apply yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Apply yourself. That's what I did. Awesome. Wow. And I mean, you've, I guess, I guess like I have a bunch of questions, like what, 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 what caused you to kind of move from, from the classroom, you know, teaching English middle school and then, and then move into that, that, that different role as, as a librarian. Well, you know, I really did want to go to library school before I went for English, uh, mm. but my friend was going away to college and she came back, you know, within a day. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going away with you. Uh, so I stayed local and I went for English because it was, you know, my favorite subject in class. I had, you know, everyone has that favorite teacher, right? right that influences you. And so I had my favorite teacher, Mr. Bell in, in uh, seventh grade, um, no, eighth grade, eighth grade. And I stood and taught with him as well. And mm -hmm. I worked with them because I actually worked in the middle school that I went to as a kid when I first started teaching. Um, but then I was like, well, you know, I don't want to be an administrator. Um, you know, you get more credits, you go higher in the pay scale. Mm -hmm. um, I want to do something. So I went for ed tech actually before library. Oh, wow. Went for ed tech. And in the year 2000, I like discovered PowerPoint and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, and I was using the floppy disks at work and I was loading yeah. them up and I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. I was teaching my kids HTML on a TV screen and oh, having nice. them just copy it. Um, I had a laptop. I had no projector. I had no Wi-Fi. So I would have kids around my desk. I was teaching them how to like cite sources with screenshots. I mean, it was very hacky, but, you know, got the job done. But I always loved that technology. But who in 2000 was hiring for ed tech? So someone who likes books, someone who likes technology, what do you do? Become a librarian. So I became a librarian. And then one day I happened to see this, this position and it basically had my name on it. Like everything, I just checked off the checklist. And I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for for 20 years. For 20 years, I was waiting for this job, and it finally came my way. So it's not like I never I wanted to leave the classroom. I always wanted to teach kids, but I wanted to teach teachers and kids, and I didn't want to be an administrator. So it's a perfect job. I got to say, I just, just a real, real quick interjection that my favorite teacher, one of my favorite teachers was also Mr. Bell. He was 10th grade. <laughs> Uh, and he was biology, actually. So, and I actually talked extensively about him in my book when I was talking about why I became a teacher. And he was one of those main reasons. So, so to all the Mr. Bells out there, thank you That's very, right. very much. So now as a librarian, there's that stereotype of the librarian where you're in a giant room full of books and the kids come in and they have to be quiet. You help them get their books and then you shoo them out. And then the next group comes in and that's just all day, every day. So that's the old school, um, typical stereotype. My grandmother was a librarian for 27 years as well. What makes today's librarian different from that stereotypical librarian of old? Well, you know, I'm just going to interject for a second because my website is called Bunhead with Duct Tape. Because I am a bunhead librarian, but I am a maker librarian, so it's bunhead with duct tape. But you know, when you think about it, like my middle school librarian, I could not stand. I was in the library one day, and I just asked to borrow a pencil from someone, and she yelled at me. And I'm like, that is not the person I want to be. Um, libraries actually have been on the forefront, 
you know, using the barcodes metadata, like you, you know, hashtags in Twitter. We were there. We were we were using that before. Um, so we've actually been ahead of the curve. I know we laugh at things things like um, VCRs and microfiche, but we had it. And who has that? Who had those things in their homes? We had them, and people could access, you know, information. So we've actually been ahead of the curve. Um, but I think, you know, I think education, not just libraries, education has changed where we're not thinking about, you know, having the, those kids in rows and, you know, shushing and things like that. And how can we, how can we support teachers if we are doing things that are not, you know, complementary to what you're doing? So, you know, you know, I remember I saw a teacher asked me once when I started working at one of my districts said, um, I didn't know librarians did that. I'm like, well, I don't know what librarians don't do. We basically do a lot of everything. So I had a makerspace in the library. I had a 3D printer. This was in my previous job at a middle school. I had a 3D printer in my library, green screens, everything, because I want to play. I want to do those things that my librarian in, in middle school yelled at me for. I want to recreate and I want to offer my kids. I, I worked in a very diverse high need school and I want to offer my kids things that I didn't have as a kid and that they would not have at home because maybe I could spark some interest in them. Maybe they would say, hey, I could be that coder. Maybe I could go into robotics. Maybe I could be a filmmaker. And I wanted them to learn that in the library. So I think, I think I want to talk about, like, Christina, you also talked about kind of like moving into that makerspace and, and doing those things. And, and tell us a little bit about your work kind of kind of in that realm, because that, that really is you're taking that librarian role and really kind of pushing it, I guess, I would say to the next level. Yeah, you know, but the funny thing is, I was an English major and I was a computer science minor for two semesters. And then I said, the heck with it. I can't, I can't learn this Pascal. <laughs> so I threw in the towel. And then 30 years later, I was accepted to Pi Academy. So oh. I became Pi, you know, Raspberry Pi certified. Mm -hmm. And then I just became Makey Makey certified. So it just took me longer to get around that way. Um, but now with Hour of Code and things like that, um, I really see the possibilities, especially for a women. Um, mm -hmm. for minorities and you know what even you know special ed kids I, I know that um, there's coding out there you know Bloxels is great for English language learners um, and then there was another one I forgot it's called um, something by Microsoft and it's for kids who are blind so oh, wow. even if you're if you have different abilities or different gender uh, identity different religion different language economic background anything you know I really feel like, you know, we are in a, a great place that we can offer everything to everyone. And that is the power of libraries. Everyone comes to the library. Mm -hmm. It's not just the gifted kids. It's not just the honors kids and the special ed or it's everybody. So the library and even your public library is the great equalizer. It really brings everyone together and offers something for every ability level uh, and every kind of person. Whereas when kids are in, in, you know, in theirs, and I'm thinking more at secondary, they're in their uh, subject area classes, 
they're really separated by ability level and by um, what they prefer and things like that. Whereas in the library, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you're going. It matters who you are at the moment. And they will interact with kids that they've never even seen before. Now, you mentioned that in your library previously, you had the green screen set up, you had a makerspace. I'm assuming there were still stacks of books, but that's changed quite a bit over the years as things have become more digital. Well, I did weed out books because, you know, you need to weed. Um, mm -hmm. But I did add more books that were um, for, our, we, you know, we have to offer books that our kids you know, like we have to offer them, you know, I would, I bought a lot of makerspace books mm -hmm. and I put them in my makerspace area because the kid, I wanted to marry the whole idea of literacy reading and making. It's just a different kind of literacy. And you know what, if I'm going to hook some kids with the making part of it, and then they find the book, great. If I'm going to hook the kids with a book, and then I find an activity for them, that's great too. We need to find different avenues for kids to interact. And so the library, again, is perfect because, you know, I get rid of books, but I get rid of books like How to Train Pigeons, um, what the astronauts will do on the moon, mm -hmm. you know, um, when, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, when I went into my library the very first, you know, day and was weeding, um, I found a, you know, you remember the books that had the addresses of all the celebrities so you could write to them? Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Well, this one yep. said that you could write to Princess Diana. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's yeah. going to work. Yeah, no, that one didn't age well. No, oh. no, no. And that was 2009. Yeah. So I was like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, and the How to Range Pigeons book was there in 2009. And when the astronauts will do on the moon, printed in 1968. I was going to say. Yes, I'm sure yeah. you had some books that had some very interesting uh, geographical boundaries also. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was like, these have to go. Right. But then you put in books that are relevant that are um kid friendly meaning easier on the eye mm -hmm. um more more you know graphic more you know mm -hmm. filled with photos just we, we learn differently now by using the internet we're very visual learners you know mm -hmm. i i can't sit there and you know you know you know i like things in boxes i like to be able to see things visually and so you know we have to find those things for our kids too I still enjoy every now and then pulling out the card catalog reference for a student oh, because man. I, could, yeah. I love the card catalog. Yep. Yeah. I remember every year through elementary school and into junior high, that was uh, your first trip to the library was about how to use that. Mm -hmm. And now it's uh, if there is even a search computer in the library, because I'm, I'm sure there are some school libraries that don't even have a search thing on a computer in the oh, library. Oh, no, 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 no. We have our library yeah. catalog. They are cataloged and they're online. It? No, it's yeah. a, it's online. So you can actually, like you're looking at your public library catalog. We have our books, mm -hmm. did, you know, they have the barcodes oh, okay. and then you okay. can search for them online. Oh yeah. But my library, when I walked in 2009, had the card catalogs <laughs> and it was digitized. So it had both. Right. Um, so we removed those and then I made a reading area uh, the year that I left and I said, I really would like a table. So I took one of the tables that we already had, took off the legs mm -hmm. and I found that I had in the back 
um, a card catalog, but like a small one. And I put it on the floor and I put the tabletop on top and that that became our table. So I was like, and I ha- and I had antiques there. So I had like an old phonograph there. I had um, old a projector. Um, what what are those? Uh, what were those things with the viewmasters? I put the oh, viewmasters wow. in. I had an old typewriter I found on the side of the road. The kids loved it. They love playing with those old things. And and I said, tinker all you want. It was I called it the Please Touch Museum. Awesome. Did you have floppy disk too? I had floppy disk. I had telephone books. Ooh. Oh, nice. Yes. Telephone books in there. And they were like, what is with it? a cord. Yes, I had all of those things. They loved it. I had a girl actually take the tape recorder one day and put the cassette in. And I taught her how to use this. And she's like, oh, my gosh. She'd walk around the library, you know, taping herself. I'm like, I remember doing that when I was a kid. Yeah. Right. Your podcast. Yeah. I used to have a little, you know, radio show on, on my yeah. little tape recorder. There's That's a awesome. rest area not far from Ben that still has a payphone that yes, is it does. functional. And oh, I've seen a few payphones. Yep. <laughs> and both of my kids look like, what is that? And I'm like, well, what do you think it is? And my daughter picked it up and she put it to her. So, well, I think it's a phone. I'm like, well, you're right. She goes, what is it from like the 1930s or something? And there was a woman no, probably about 10 years older than me around the corner started laughing hysterically. And she goes, wow, that's uh, that's pretty good right there. So, uh now with that, the card catalog being digitized, I, I'm actually surprised still because I, I'm terrible. I haven't been in a library in quite a while. Now COVID has something to do with that, but uh, <laughs> I know with schools, a lot of times I just assume that maybe they didn't even have it anymore because last time I saw the kids were just walking up to the library and asking where, where can I find this? Or they were just going to their own computer, looking it up online. So I'm glad to hear that those things are still there. Well, yeah, so. they, we don't have search. Well, for the most part, we don't really need search um, computers mm-hmm. because it's because it's web based. You, mm-hmm. it again, equity, democracy. Mm-hmm. Everyone has access. You can have access to your public library catalog right now. All you have to mm-hmm. do is go on there, and you could probably get some uh, ebooks do- mm-hmm. downloaded and just and and reserve books and do a curbside pickup. You don't even have to step into your library right now. It's it's a lot of virtual. Uh, virtual things but yeah I mean I remember when I my first library job was in uh, 2004 and the, the library was digitized already there now so there are some that are not but yeah no but the trend is though for years I would tell my students during orientation um, you know the library is not set up like a bookstore mm-hmm. and the trend is well then why isn't it set up like a bookstore right why not? Mm-hmm. So a lot of librarians, what we do is we take the fiction and we genreify it, meaning uh, that we'll take, uh, instead of right. alphabetical order by the last name of the author, we'll do that, but we'll have a fantasy section, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a science fiction section, and you know what? Those kids don't really need to look up anything unless a book they want a book to see if we right. even have it. It's very empowering for a kid to just go. Right. Uh, but I won't touch. I won't touch the other the numbered books because so many things can overlap. But mm-hmm. in my library, I did create a map, and I put signs around. So if you're looking for a books on computers, right over there. So oh, cool. bookstore ish in a way, more like user friendly, and that they are empowered to do it on their own. They're independent, and they don't need to ask for your help as much. They can find it on their own. Awesome. Yeah. That is super cool. So, um, so I have a question and, and I'm just curious. So would you tell us about slime 
and what that is. <laughs> wow. Oh, I think I that's kind that. of a big deal. Well, you know, I haven't been asked that in a while. <laughs> well, my vision was one day, I, I love Maker Fair. Just mm-hmm. love the whole Maker Fair. And in New York City, um, by uh, the Queen's Hall, the the Hall of Science, New York Hall of Science, that was one of the flagship Maker Fairs. And I said, you know, I really love Maker Fair, um, but there was, you could have a school Maker Fair, you could mm-hmm. have a mini Maker Fair, you could have a large Maker Fair, but there was no schools, multiple school Maker Fair. Right. So I said, well, okay, let's do it. So my, my district said, okay. And for two years, we had Slime, Students of Long Island Maker Expo. And I just, you know, got people to come in and I got a few donations and we had lots of people. The third time I actually rented uh, a local museum. Wow. A local museum. It's called the Cradle of Aviation because it's actually where Lindbergh left when he flew. Uh, And we have things there from um, the space missions. We had Grubbin along So It really is the Cradle of Aviation. And I rented it and I got some donations, um, put a little bit of my own money to it because I didn't want the tickets to be more than five dollars mm. so it was not a hindrance to a family it's cool so wow. we had 800 people come wow we had That's 800 awesome. people yeah we had 800 people come we had um some from Microsoft that came we had um I had uh th- I was a school librarian of the year so the mm-hmm. former school library the so school librarian of the year Todd Burleson that year came from um, uh, Winaka uh, a school district um, and the other two runners up uh, Laura Gardner and Anita Sulucci came from Massachusetts I mean wow. people just came I had I had people you know I had uh, Mackin Mackin uh, they sell you know maker items the Mackin mm-hmm. maker and they're from Minnesota so they wow. came I mean I was just like oh my gosh but you know it's a big undertaking right. you on your own right. so I had to put that away for a little bit because I got the new job and then COVID. Right. Yeah. And that's what I, I know. I feel like, I feel like the maker, the maker movement was really, really like there were some great makers out here in the West coast, like events in San Francisco and places like that. And then I think you're right. I feel like, I feel like those gatherings have gone, I guess, virtually in this right. format. I mean, you know, we have, they're going to have like uh, a maker fair, but it's going to be virtual. It's going to be virtual. And I actually worked on, uh, on a panel and they were having like, you know, a virtual maker fair um, over the summer. And so I spoke, but the vibe of people in a room and, and showing what they can do and just it, you can't recreate that, Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere you, it's like going to a conference, right? you know, like, Okay, ISTE. You've been to mm-hmm. ISTE? The, the, the vibe that you feel there and the vibe that you feel online, they're just two different things. And I miss that, I think. And I think that's also the same way kids feel. We're, you know, being at home and you in remote learning mm-hmm. and being at and school. And actually, I've been looking into, I want to find some research about um, kinesthetic learning because I mm-hmm. really feel like, you know, when you're in middle school or high school, when you, the act of getting out of your seat and going to the mm-hmm. next class kind of wipes a clean slate. Mm-hmm. The act of an elementary school going to art, walking down the hallway, and then coming back. Mm-hmm. When you're remote learning, where are you going? You're getting up to go to the bathroom. 
going to the fridge to get a glass of milk. It's not that same kind of physicality of learning. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah, I, no, I, learning I, is not just your brain, it's your right. body. Right. No, and I think I think you're onto something there. And I, I think it's that idea of of like also with like space, like where do you where do you center yourself within your environment? And I think for some people, I just I know for myself, I can't work from home. I figured that out last year when the pandemic hit. I was like, uh, this is not helping me. I have to be in my space at work. And I have and I've noticed that we have kids in my particular school, because we are doing face-to-face -face and we're doing distance where I've had kids come back from distance back into face-to-face -face because their parents were like, they just needed to be like, they could do the distance, but emotionally they felt, they felt disconnected, like almost right. like they're floating there. They would, I mean, it's, it's just a very different kind of vibe. And they were, they were doing fine in distance. It wasn't like academically, it hurt them. They just had to be in the building with kids. Weird, yeah. Right, right, right. You know that you know being in a, in a secondary, you always think it's so funny. Like teachers have to wait for the bell to go to the, the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what other job do you have that? But right. when I got back to work, I kind of wanted that bell. You know, I, you right. want that. This is the beginning. This right. is the end of something, and this is the beginning of something else. Right. Whereas in the spring, when we were when we're remote, mm -hmm. it was kind of this like nebulous thing, like right. what day is it, what time right. is it, and there was no structure to it. You know, I think you know humans. I think we need that beginning, middle, end to feel closure to something, to start something new. And we we when it keeps on going, you feel like there's no there's no end. Right. No, I'm definitely looking forward to school being back in person again for those kinds of things. I'm a, I'm very much a routine person. Mm -hmm. I like routine and I'm functioning working from home okay, but mm -hmm. I find more distractions at home. Mm -hmm. And when it comes time for my office hours and I have to be on there, but nobody's coming, I find myself fiddling around on my iPad, playing a game or something like that, mm -hmm. or getting up and walking around, going, looking in the fridge, even though I'm not hungry or something right. like that. So, mm -hmm. and then speaking to things like ISTE or the big ones for Ben and I out West are Q affiliate mm -hmm. events and mm -hmm. getting back to learning in person with people again, having that human contact is going to be nice. And then just then kind of, kind of transitioning a little bit. I've been watching a lot of Mythbusters again lately because mm -hmm. I absolutely love oh, that show. I love yes. that. And yes. I can sit and watch Mythbusters and I can learn a lot from Mythbusters with the different things they're doing. But I know I would learn more if I was doing it hands on. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of what I want to go with when I ask you about your makerspace a little bit. So, when you put your makerspace in your library, First of all, what did you kind of start with? What were some of the basics you had there? And I mean, this could be a four hour podcast at this point. But now I realize I asked that. But um, and then like, how did the kids kind of take to that? And like, what kind of things were you seeing from the kids once you had that makerspace there? I started with junk. That that summer, I just I just started collecting yogurt containers and bottle caps and just garbage and recyclable materials. I had nothing because I, and, and, and I raised money over the years. I raised money through donors choose. I raised through book fairs and donors choose and things like that. I raised almost a hundred thousand dollars for my library. And that was able to give us a, a class set of iPads, a class, a class and a half set of Chromebooks, 
a class of iPod touches because I felt I didn't want any of the taxpayer money to go to my quote unquote toys. I am a librarian. You have entrusted me to make sure there are resources for the children that I'm going to use that money to buy books because that is what the taxpayers had voted on. Everything else I wanted on my own, I felt like I had to work for it. And, you know, I don't know, I'm going to be stereotypical here, but being a woman, I love to shop and I love to bargain shop. It's even better. So if I can get something, um, it, you know, it's like, it's like the hunt, you know, it's like, okay, if I want something, I'm going to have to put in a donors choose project for it. And if I really want it, I'm going to have to push hard to crowdsource it. But then it empowered my kids. So one of the kids wanted the, I was, I think it was at the time of Anki. It was a, like a little, um, artificial intelligence robot. I said, okay, then you help write the donors choose project for it and I'll help you get it funded, but you have to help me sit there and write it first. So I felt like that. And that really, I had control of what went in there because I worked for it. But yeah, I started with garbage, absolute garbage. And when I ended, we had, like I said, the iPads, the green screens, um, the 3D printers. And, and I, you know, some school, you know, a lot of schools, they have to go through certain vendors. Mm -hmm. When I went through Donors Choose, I didn't have to. I could go through Amazon. I could go through, um, I could make a special order of like a green screen I really liked. So I was able to experiment without having, you know, you know, being tethered to certain vendors. And I guess making the makerspace was my maker journey, you know, because I made that space and I put everything into it and I put my heart into it that that was my creation in a way. You see what I'm saying? making a place is your creation so and but when I left I had you know I had a reading look for kids um we but we had thing we had fun and I'll, again I'll be stereotypical middle school you know the stereotype is you know girls like to read boys like to read nonfiction. Bo- girls like to read fiction and I had lots of boys come in especially sixth grade boys because I had toys I had the Sphero, I had, you know, Mechano robots, I had, all, and these were things that, you know, they weren't getting in their classrooms. And these are the things, you know, I had one boy, he came in and I, I did something called Genius Hour in my sixth grade. I would have him come in for like a week and, you know, I'd have him, you know, we work on some kind of project. And I had one kid in sixth grade, I said, you know, do you have, you know, how do you feel about the week? And he said to me, I'll never forget, I have a video of him saying this, he goes, I forgot what it was like to be a kid. He was a sixth grade. He was playing with Play-Doh. He was playing with stop animation. And he said to me, I forgot what it was like to be a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, then my work is done. If you remember it now, then my work is done. Yeah, there's way too many instances of where just kids, I mean, as young as fourth, fifth grade, where it becomes all about the content, all about right. academics and everything. And you're right. They just don't, they don't play enough. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 38 years old and I still like to play. I mean, right. come on. I mean, we all need that. And that's how you learn. Yep. That's exactly it. That's, that's some of the most, that, that learning is going to stick with that kid much more than say, taking a test or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. or memorizing a bunch of facts. That's a great, right. great example. Right. And I well, wanted them I to like feel to good too. too. You know, they feel yeah. good when they learn right. something. Yep. 
Well, and what I also liked hearing from you was just the whole origin story of your makerspace, because uh, I'm going to get a little cynical here for a second, where with things like makerspaces and flexible seating and some other things that are uh, very popular in education these days, you don't often hear the stories or see the stories of the beginnings of those things. Like you see a picture mm. of someone's flexible seating where they're in classroom looks like a Starbucks or something <laughs> like that, or the maker space that has, you know, a hundred grand worth of electronics and robots right. and coding uh, devices and different things. And you just like, you look at those and to, for me personally, if I'm going to want to start something like that, I don't have a lot of confidence to get one going because how am I going to match that? Right. You know, so to hear your story about how you literally started with right. like scraps of paper and yogurt cups and yeah. whatever else it may be, that gives me hope if I ever wanted to start one. And if anybody's listening was looking to maybe try to start a makerspace, I think that gives right. people hope. Yep, yep, yep. You know, it's it's you know, what, what are you waiting for? You know, I said, you know, my dream was to have a makerspace. I'm like, well, then why am I dreaming? Why don't I just get there and, and just and just do it? Just try it out. You know, and I think we need to take those risks. Well, what's the worst that happens? All right. Then, you know, kids don't play with them, you know, yogurt containers. Right. They don't know what to do. What am I losing? I'm not losing anything. Right. And then you get them to, you know, and, you know, and also sustainability. I right. I want kids to learn not everything is bells and whistles and not everything happens, like you said, overnight. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. again, I'm a hack, you know, a hacking school libraries. You know, I'm trying to find those those little ways that we can do those things more efficiently. And I appreciate how people are making, you know, and hacking and trying to figure it out. I mean, in my library, I was, I was getting yoga balls and I was taking pool noodles and wrapping them with duct tape and putting the yoga balls on top. Okay. You know, um, stand up desks, forget it. I went, you know, I ordered from Staples hospital bed trays that went up and down. They were mm. cheaper and I was able to move them around and the kids, you know, and I got bar stools at a garage sale and I brought them in and my student teacher and I reupholstered them, you know, and I was like, because I, and I was proud of that. I was proud of that. Cause I'm like, I made that. I did that. You know, that's different than just buying a catalog. Well, that's that whole maker ethos. That's that whole, like, just like you want something, figure out how to make it. And I think kids, kids are miss some kids are missing that that uh -huh. opportunity and I think it's awesome you know that's that's a whole idea we talk about you got to model what you want kids to do like hey I made the chair so you can do this that's cool. right right yep 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 now listeners that want to start doing that though what they're probably going to find is that now once it starts becoming popular though now the price of those things are going to go up because <laughs> what I'm finding right now is that I wanted to buy a third monitor and that's something that I could have gone on Facebook marketplace six months ago and you could have taken six of them. They were given away. And now people are selling that stuff for a hundred dollars used because they know they're in demand. So exactly. So if exactly. you're looking to start this maker space, start collecting your, your stuff now before right. people realize they can sell it for a lot more, I guess. Well, did you see my, my, the compact mirror hack? I don't know if you saw my video, no. but uh, no. Trisha uh, Lewis had mentioned this compact mirror hack. And, you know, it's like one of those things that you, you, you take and you put in the back of your head. And I sat seeing it, like she had it at ISTE in 2019. And then she, it came up again. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. Cause I, I use Flipgrid. Hmm. So 
what you do is you just take a compact mirror and you put it over the, you know, you rest it on the, the camera of your laptop or your Chromebook. I went to Dollar Tree and I just put them on and I got a headband. And what happens is the mirror goes down and you could see it over the keyboard. But when Flipgrid, the update, it has a mirror video. So you just press mirror video. And now what you can do is you can demonstrate something on Flipgrid and now your kids, and you put a whiteboard, your kids could actually write something. So I, I put, made a video of it, but again, I was inspired by oh, okay. Trisha by, to use it into Flipgrid. Cause I'm like, this is perfect putting it. And, but then I saw someone online on Twitter who was 3D printing them. And now they were trying to buy the mirrors on Amazon to put them in. Someone said, I don't have a 3D printer. So they, they just use a cereal box. And yeah. then I remember Trisha's idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, I ran to the bathroom, got a compact mirror. Last time I went to Dollar Tree, I bought all of them. I bought 30 of them. I bought 30 of them and the 30 headbands and I, you could just put it right on. I like that. I think that's being innovative. That's being creative. Um, and that's doing what you can with what you have. Mm-hmm. Another monitor I can't make, you know, I'm not the professor from Gilligan's Island. I can't make a radio out of a coconut. I can't do that. So, but I, I'm sure if you tried hard enough, you eventually yeah. could though. You, you, based on your skill set. <laughs> or I'll find someone who can do it. There you go. Now, Christina, you also mentioned you were the author of several books. So, um, if you just a brief outline of some of your books, all your books, maybe just one of them depends on how much you want to talk about them. If you'd like. Um, well, because you know, a school librarian of the year and it was part of school library journal and scholastic scholastic approached me to, I don't know if you had to see the video up here, but in zoom, I have the titles of the books. And mm-hmm. so there are some books for, uh, it's like K to two and that's the, um, the I can make the other rookie books. And then the true books are for grades three through five. And each of them has a little theme and they have a little timeline in there and they have pictures in there, how to make these things. And each has three projects. Um, the process of making these books was actually the fun part. Again, I love making my sister um, this photography on the side. She was, she photographed my son doing the demonstrations for the top four books, the little books. So my son's hands and my other son, a few of them, I have two sons, one of them, I mean, we spent hours in our basement doing it. My son's hands are in the book every little picture and then when you open up both books they actually came to my library moved everything and my i have two sons and a daughter they were in the books and their friends were in the books cool and my sister like i said was a photographer for some of them so the process of doing it but you know Mm -hmm. as a kid um you know my mom was divorced i live with my grand you know my grandparents took care of me after school they were immigrants they spoke ukrainian didn't Mm -hmm. speak english uh, couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. So the bookmobile coming to town across the street was a big deal. And my grandfather went to school only till fourth grade. My grandmother never went to school. My grandfather had to show her how to sign her name for his citizenship papers. Wow. But every time that bookmobile came to town, my grandfather always gave me a bag of tomatoes, homegrown. My grandmother gave me roses cut from the garden to give to the librarian. Because they valued education. Mm -hmm. Um, They couldn't read those books on that bookmobile. They couldn't read them, but they knew it was important for me to respect that person. Mm -hmm. And so 
now it's like being able to give back is, you know, is just amazing. Um, and like I said, my grandfather, you know, he, he fixed his belt with duct tape, you know, he had, they had the old pedal sewing mm -hmm. machine. My grandmother, you know, when she passed away, I have jars and jars of buttons and zippers oh, yeah. and yep. things like that. And you know what? That means more to me than anything else, because that was, you know, they came from a country where, and they came mm -hmm. here and America was like, for them, the dream, mm -hmm. it was the dream. And so every little thing they could save, you did. Mm -hmm. Now we're in such a consumable throwaway society right. that you're like, eh, whatever. They but, were the, that generation is the original makers. My grandparents were the same way. I, yes. The yeah. big jar of buttons. The like big as jar a kid, of buttons. As a kid, that's like the best thing to play with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got math manipulatives. Yeah. You could put it on picture frame. I mean, you could do anything with that. Is a big jar of yeah. buttons. My grandparents taught me math playing poker. That's all I'm going to say. So I do you're, live in you're Nevada. You're not the only one then, ben, I do because... live in Nevada. Then <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned how to play poker at hunting camp when I was go. like six or seven years old. And then my grandpa, That's same thing. I mean, he saved every little screw yep. and bolt and scrap of metal. My grandmother rinsed out Ziploc bags. Oh, and, my gosh. Yes. Oh, and then Folded Cool Whip foil. containers. Yes. Yes. Cool Whip containers were leftovers. Yes. For everything and then my grandpa uh because he hunted so much he didn't buy new bullets he had them he took them down the street to the gun shop and had them reloaded because it was way cheaper and it was a lot more environmentally sound to do something like that so you're right absolutely that the original yeah. makers were that generation yeah. my is almost 97 and he's actually yeah. alive so he's still wow. one of the original makers wow so now christina where can we connect with you online where can we find your books tell listeners all that stuff because it's you've got a whole plethora of things that need to be shared well my again my website is bunhead with duct tape yes like the bunhead like a librarian <laughs> bunhead with duct tape.com uh, my books are on amazon um you can catch me on twitter and on instagram i'm at librarian l-i-e-b-e-r-r-i-a-n because that's what they say anyway instead of librarian so i'm a librarian um, and I have a Facebook group, uh, Hacking a School Libraries Facebook group. You don't have to have read the book to be a part of us. Um, and then we do have two ebooks that are out right now uh, wow. the epic ebook of Web Tools and Apps, which is 300 pages crowdsourced wow. by 50 teachers around the world. Uh, we created it through Book Creator. Um, I wow. had a vision, and people just accepted it and they you know again we have it's about 300 pages and everyone has their own couple of pages uh and then the digital librarian survival toolkit is is geared more for librarians but you could learn a lot of different things there about like screen recording and mm -hmm. and book talks and podcasting and that has 35 authors and it's about 250 pages wow. and so those are online you could you you know you could see them on my website uh they, you don't have to download them they're made by book creator so just Google my name and book creator and you can find the cool. books. And we're working on about 10 other books. One's on makerspace, one's on wow. social emotional learning, what's on reading and writing. And we're basically crowdsourcing information because there are so many teachers and librarians who are not connected on social media. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted something that they could, you know, 
all you have to do is send an email with a link. You don't have to have seen the tweet or been in the Facebook group. So we're trying to get the word out. Um, and it's all over the world they're using it. You know, I looked at the statistics and people were in like Germany and Portugal and Nevada. <laughs> right on. They're, they're using it. They're using That's- it. Oh, that is, that is super awesome. And it's, it's awesome that you have, you're taking other people's ideas and voices and giving them that outlet to, to share with people. That, that's super cool. Yeah. I tell, you know, people have, you know, there's some people who have never written before and there's some people who right. have written articles and again, everyone has something to share. And, you know, it was something I wanted to do, but I'm like, I can't write all this and it's, it's constantly being updated. Mm-hmm. So you always get the newest version. And by the time I write a book that's, that is published, to help out with online learning, it's going to be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know everything. So I just went to, you know, my PLN and I said, okay, what do you got? And they t- and they gave me their best. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, and it's Christina, free. Thank you. And it's free. Oh, free, free, free. free. And it's free. That's the best part. Teachers. Free. So. Yep. <laughs> so. Well, Christina, thank you so very much for taking some time out to join us and sharing your journey and your accomplishments with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much. I'm raising my uh, invisible beer mug too. (laughs) Well, I'll raise mine that that does look invisible because it's blending into my green screen. So There you go. And you can see mine. So definitely thank you so much for joining us. And and hey, if you're listening out there and you want to keep this conversation going um, and share some of your thoughts on on the topics and, and maybe like, uh, you know, share it with us what, what you've done with Makerspace or, or any of those things, please email us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us using that hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on the Facebook group at beeredupodcast. Follow us on Instagram. That's the, the, the more fun one. Kyle and I <laughs> post pictures of beers, things like that, um, at beeredupod. Um, and then, you know, right now we're on YouTube Live, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at bit.ly backslash beer edu YouTube. I have to get remember, remember how to say that. And then also be sure to follow Christina. We have all her information. She's got a ton of stuff out there, those free books. That is awesome. And she's on Twitter um, at Liber, Liberian. Man, Liberian, and that's hard to say. <laughs> And then also you can uh, send us a voice message using that Anchor app and then also leave us a review on the iTunes store. Um, So wherever you find the podcast and on any of those things. And Kyle, what if they want to be a guest? You want to be a guest on the show, our website, beeredupodcast.com. Click on the contact and subscription info link, complete our guest form. And then for more great content from educators around the world, uh, thank you to School Rubric for featuring the Beer EDU podcast. Yes. The mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students help tell their stories so that stakeholders can make the best choices about enrollment and staffing. And you can learn more about them at schoolrubric.com. And again, find lots of great content like blogs and podcasts from educators yeah. all over the world there at schoolrubric.com. Yeah. I would I would encourage people out there to go check it out. I like went down a whole rabbit hole checking it out. In fact, uh, I saw friends of our show who have been on with us, Che and Pav, 
they have a whole thing from the staff room podcast on there. So definitely go check them out. Super and awesome. Sam Fesich of the Edgy Magic podcast oh. that we had on yep. about a year ago is also on School Rubric. So yep. yes, definitely There's, some connections to the Beer Edu podcast on School Rubric. They have tons of stuff on there, like international schools, all kinds of stuff. Like I said, I like totally went down a rabbit hole and I was like, I, there's, there's a bunch of stuff on there. So please, please, you know, if you get a chance, check them out. Um, Christina, if you want to stick around, this is the part of the show where we're, where Kyle's going to, Kyle's going to do some teaching. Um, and, uh, Kyle, what do you have for us for our learn about? Yeah, a short and sweet one this time around, because it's uh, kind of based on a style we've already covered before. And right. this is the crystal bison, uh, crystal bison translates to either clear or crystal wheat in German. And it's also known as a crystal bison beer. And basically what this is, this is a non-hazy Hefeweizen. So oh, okay. they take a Hefeweizen and they filter out all the cloudiness and that's what you have left over. So it's a, a crisper, cleaner version of the Hefeweizen wheat style beer. So what you get, you still get those notes of banana and clove. You just mm -hmm. don't get that cloudiness that you do with the Hefeweizen. But at the same time though, the flavors aren't as pronounced because it has been filtered. So now, allaboutbeer.com, this is where I took this from. This is, again, it's a, it's a filtered beer before they bottle it or can it. Gets rid of the protein haze and the yeast that's often suspended in those beers. Mm -hmm. So they don't have that yeasty and spicy complexity that a lot of the hefts have, but it's much cleaner, has a more delicate flavor. You get a lot of floral and fruity aromas. That banana and clove is still there a little bit. Alcohol between five and five and a half percent typically medium medium to full bodied in character so again just a, just a cleaner version of that hefeweizen for the most yeah, part not as yeah not as definitely i would agree with you not as i almost feel they're not as heavy either i mean even though a hefeweizen isn't feel that heavy i don't know what they can your... feel they can feel heavy on the mouth because of yeah. all of the protein and the, and the right. yeast suspended maybe that's what it is yeah yeah so but yeah i don't ever feel like I just, you know, had a pork chop dinner. No, after yeah, yeah. They are <laughs> so. definitely, they are not a beer. A Hefeweizen is not a beer that pours like a sandwich, but right. it, it is definitely, I think these are, these are definitely a lighter, a lighter fare. Just like you right. said, the mouthfeel. Now I really struggled with the examples on this one. I could not find a lot of examples. That would be something that's big enough for really a lot of people to find. Right. Um, it, it's just not a real common style in North America's, but if you have a store near you that sells a lot of German beers, like mm -hmm. you have a German beer section, check out that section because there's a lot of the common German brewers that right. import to the United States. Uh, there's going to be styles there of uh, the Crystal Bison. Uh, more locally to you and I, Ben, mm -hmm. I've never seen it outside of Northern California. And yeah. you can get it at the brewery, but yep. Sierra Nevada makes Old Chico wheat. Now, I've, I've had it, but I, I think you're exactly right. I don't, I've never seen it in a store. I think I've had it on tap somewhere, but no, actually it wasn't yeah. the brewery. It was, it was like a brewer. It, it was a, it was a right. bar, a bar in Northern California. I had it at the brewery in Chico. And then right. I've seen six packs of it at the grocery store around right. the corner from my parents' house. That's about yep. it. Yep. Um, and then this one, I, I put this one only because New Glarus, which is out of Southern Wisconsin, they make a cream ale called Spotted Cow that I love. You're not going to be able to find this outside of Wisconsin because New Glarus only distributes in Wisconsin, but they have a crystal wheat that right. is uh, called Laughing Fox. 
Okay. Um, and then Bohemia, the Mexican brewery, they make yeah. one, they make a Weizen beer, which I did not know this. I've only ever had the, um, the Vienna style lager, the darker right. yeah. lager that they make. Huh. Yeah. So, I, I, I've had it and, and I've had this style when I was actually, when you say that in Germany, and I've told this story about the beer is 50 cents a bottle or 25 cents a bottle. So you can buy like maybe quite a few of them and sample all the kinds you like. I've had it there, but other than the Sierra Nevada one that I've had one time, I don't think I've had a US, a one in the US. I'll have to look for it. Yeah, I'd have to go back and check my untapped to see yeah. if uh, how many of these I've had. I know I, probably less than what I have for fingers uh, on my two <laughs> oh, hands. Oh, I'm for so sure it's on just that. Not, not definitely a real common style, but I know, again, this is one of the ones from the list that yep. you and I put together uh, yep. and it just, um, just going through that list yeah. now and uh, having a little fun doing it. And uh, I got a couple more coming up cool. that are really good uh, for this. So really looking forward to getting all, into those. All the more reason for people to hit us up on Twitter or, or someplace that if they've had the style and I'm, I'm, I'm going to call out like Ken Mattingly, my, my, my friend on the East coast, I know he has probably had this beer. So man, if you've had this beer, hit us up and on Twitter or something, let us know, let us know some other styles. Yeah. And if there's anybody, if there's any other beer knowledge that you'd like for us to research yep. and talk about on the podcast, let us know, because I, I love falling down that rabbit yep. hole and researching these sometimes. For so sure. this one didn't take me too long today uh, to do, but sometimes I will fall down rabbit hole for about three hours <laughs> looking at stuff and I have a lot of fun doing it. Yep. So. Awesome. so Ben, I think that puts 83, puts a little bow yes. on top. I think. I, I think we're good. Christina, thank you so awesome. much for thank sharing you. with us. Thank you. It's, amazing to hear your journey and, and all the stuff you've done and, and just I think makerspace that's that's a huge a huge gift for all kids to just get in there and learn by doing exactly exactly I think you know we all could be we could all could be kids again I think we'd all yep. learn a lot from our kids too there we go yeah sure and listeners thank you as always and until next time may the malts and the hops be with you right on 